Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, Brandon Williams starts a brand new series entitled The Greatest. Throughout this series, Brandon looks at how we will never be the greatest at anything apart from God. This week, we look at how our purpose can be found in other people. Well, that was cool. That's the first time I've ever seen that, so uh, never know what they're going to put up there. But uh, man, we're glad y'all are here this morning. Um, if it's your first time here, my name's Brandon, and uh, man, we're just excited that, that you're here to worship with us. Um, looking forward to jumping into the Word. We are starting a new service, or a new service, a new, um, we're not doing another service, I promise. <laughs> I can't do another one of those, and I think our worship team would hang me if we started another one, but, uh, but we are starting a new series called The Greatest, and we're going to be looking at um, just some of the things that, that uh, in our lives that are the greatest because of what Christ has done for us and how we can become the greatest in the world as we pursue Him and live for Him. So we're going to be looking at that. I want to share something with you real quick. I got an email this week that I just thought was really, really, uh, it was really touching to me, and, and I thought it really displayed why we do what we do, and I wanted to read it to you. It says, hi, due to some Unfortunate events, I haven't been in church since 2002. I never missed a church service up to that point in my life. God and I weren't on speaking terms for a while, so I'm trying to patch things up. I really felt at home when I walked in. Never felt that way in the church I was attending. Guess you all are stuck with me now. Thanks. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. When I got that this week, I just thought, man, that is so, so cool to get that email because, I mean, that's why we do what we do. Right, is for people who are far from God to be able to come in and connect with God, begin to um, understand more about who God is. And we had two people last week. One who had said so he hadn't been in church for 20 years, um, and this was his first time being back in church last Sunday. And he, he came up to me and he said, "Man, I don't even like church, and, and and I don't even like being here. But God did something in my heart today, and I thought, how cool is that?" I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And then I get this email from a guy who uh, attended one of our services last week and said, you know, I haven't been in church since 2002, but man, you're stuck with me now. And so I just want to encourage you with that. It, it encouraged me. I want to encourage you that, that man, God is going to do something through us as we yield ourselves to him. God's going to do something through us. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we look at the greatest. I want to talk to you uh, today about the greatest feeling, the greatest possible feeling you can have in your life. And uh, we're going to be looking at, at, at that out of John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. John chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first four verses. And then today we're just going to kind of walk through this account where Jesus actually feeds 5,000. It's always, we hear 5,000, but it was actually 5,000 men. So considering the number of women and children, some people say that there may have been up to 20,000 people that Jesus is going to feed with five loaves and two fish. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? If I could do that, it'd be great. We'd save so much on a grocery bill. It'd be absolutely incredible, especially with three boys. I'm I'm wondering how we're going to do that when they're all uh, like teenagers. It'd be absolutely incredible to be able to multiply five loaves and two fish and feed them all. So anyway, we're going to start in chapter 6 of John, verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Let's pray. God, just just do something awesome in our hearts today, Lord. I pray, God, that, that even right now we would open our hearts to receive what you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that uh, the words we hear, Lord, God, they would come from your mouth because we know, God, that when... Words come from your mouth. They don't return void. 
but they accomplish the purpose for which you sent them. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would accomplish every purpose that you would have for our lives this morning. Shape our hearts, mold us, encourage us, challenge us, convict us, Lord, that we could go out and do everything that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you and thank you for Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin, the mercy that you've placed on our lives just by coming to faith in him. Lord, just have your way here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, actually the first weekend of January, had the opportunity to go and preach at a men's retreat. Uh, it was uh, on a Friday night and twice on Saturday morning that I was actually able to preach. Now, this was done at Tattnall County Campground. I don't know if you've ever been down there. And uh, this, they've got a big tabernacle there. It's an open-air tabernacle. And I don't know whose idea it was to start having this thing in January in an open-air tabernacle. But, but that's where we were. And uh, so I preached on Friday night, preached twice on Sunday mor- or Saturday morning, and came in and preached twice on Sunday morning. And we're down there, and it wasn't just cold. It was cold. I mean, it was cold, cold. And, and I was in there, up there preaching, and luckily for me, they provided one of those big propane heaters. It's got the big metal thing on top, and it was blowing the, the heat out. And, and man, I just stayed as close to that thing as I possibly could. Everybody else was freezing, but the great thing about it was nobody could go to sleep. So I was like, that's good. Nobody will go to sleep. And no matter how boring I am, nobody will go to sleep. And I'm standing up there, and I'm trying to get as close to the heater as I could, but then I was afraid it was going to be like the Michael Jackson Pepsi commercial, and my hair was going to catch on fire. I was going to be like, hee hee, oh, my hair's on fire. And, um, and, and so I didn't know, I mean, it was, and so I was trying to get as close to it as I could and I preached and, and man, I was thinking this weekend, I'm preaching five times. I'll be absolutely exhausted by the end of the weekend. And I preached Friday night, preached twice Saturday, came in here, preached two times on Sunday. And you know what? On Sunday afternoon, man, I was pretty wiped out. I was pretty tired, you know, five times in, in, in three days and, and really two and a half days. I was pretty tired. But the thing I realized was on the, uh, my physical body was tired, but, but inside, man, it was like I was doing backflips. It was so awesome because I had the opportunity to preach five times. I had the opportunity to share Jesus five times. And the thought I had about that was when you're doing what you were created to do, it fulfills you. It gives your life energy. It, 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 it's when things click. How many of you have ever done that where you did something and you were like, this is why I was made, man. This is why, this is why God put me on the face of this earth. This is what I'm supposed to do. It's kind of like, guys, when you go and play golf and you play 17 holes of the most frustrating sport ever in being a demand. And you're thinking, I paid 40, 50, 60, 100 dollars so I could be frustrated. And then finally you get to number 18. And you get over your ball, and you hit it, and it is the purest, sweetest feeling thing you've ever had in your life. And you're like, man, I cannot wait to get back out here next week. (laughs) And it just erases all those thoughts of the the frustrating other 120 shots you took. And the only reason it wasn't more is because you used a foot wedge to get out from behind the trees and out of the sand traps. And don't act like you don't, because we all do that. And, 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 and you just, you hit it and it's in the sweet spot. Man, it feels so good. It's like when you're playing, if you played baseball, you got a hanging curveball and you just killed it, right? I don't, I don't have any good analogies for women. I'm sorry. I mean, if you played softball, you can relate to that. I, I mean, it's, maybe it's finding that pair of shoes that was just, bam, it was perfect. <laughs> it was just, bam. And you're like, yes. And you gave them the check card and you walked out and you're like, got it. 
But it's when that, then it clicks, man, and life just starts clicking and it's making sense and it's working. And I believe that's what God wants for all of us. I truly do. I don't believe there's a person in here today that God does not want to use your life in an incredible way to make an incredible difference in the lives of other people. And that's enough to get you up in the morning. When you realize you have an incredible purpose in God, when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, you know God desires to do something incredible through my life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we get to that purpose? How do we get going in this thing that makes our life just click and things just seem to work and things just begin to to point to the right direction and we find ourselves in this place where it seems like every time we're swinging the club, man, we're connecting. Not that everything's perfect, but, but we're finding ourselves fulfilled in Christ. We're finding ourselves doing the things that we really believe we were created to do. And as I was reading this scripture in the last couple of weeks, man, I didn't think I was going to get to preach this Sunday. I thought somebody else was preaching. I found out Friday at 2 o'clock that I was going to get to preach today. I was like, thank God, because I thought I was going to have to sit on this for like two weeks. I was like, we'll be here for eight hours next Sunday. And so I'm excited to be able to share with you what God's put in my heart out of these scriptures. And I really want to talk to you today about, about just how do we get to that place where we're hitting it in the sweet spot. How do we get to that place where we're, we're doing what God created us to do? When I read these scriptures the other day, the first thing that jumped out at me is it says in, in verses 1 and 2, it says sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's actually trying to get away from some of the crowds. He's been ministering. He's just trying to say, okay, guys, come on. He takes the 12. They're trying to get to the other side. Um, of the Sea of Galilee, and it says a great crowd of people followed him. And listen to this, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And I read that, and I thought about this. I thought about how many people are following Jesus today because they're looking for something spectacular rather than just looking for God. Have you ever noticed that in church? We can get really good at going after God for another goosebump. We can get really good at going after God for some other emotional experience. And, and you'll even see people who come into church and, man, whoo, it's great, it's awesome. And six months later, you, you can't find them. And I believe the reason is because they come in and they get a feeling, but they begin to pursue the feeling instead of pursuing God. We begin to pursue a healing instead of pursuing the healer. We begin to look for, for things other than God to fulfill us, even in church. Even in church, we come in looking for something other than God. And these people are pursuing God. They're pursuing Jesus because they want to see another miracle. What's he going to do next? How, how, how's he going to impress us this time? What's the next goosebump going to be? I remember um, going down to this thing called Rock the Universe. It's at Universal Studios. I love Universal. I go to Universal Studios or Disney. I turn into like an eight-year-old. I'm not far from that most of the time, but really, when we get to these amusement parks, I turn into like this eight-year-old, I'm just, I'm bouncing off the walls, and we went, and we saw this band called Family Force Five, you've probably never heard of them, I hadn't either until I saw them down there, and Family Force Five, and I don't know how they got the name, I don't know where that came, it's just a strange name, but we were up there, and I, I noticed that the band was playing, and they all had instruments, and they were all playing these songs, and then there was this girl who all she did was went from one side of the stage to the other in like these really skinny jeans, you know, and, and really um, like tight shirt, and, and she was going around and dancing, and like really long hair, and she's just from one side, and she just stand up there dancing. I'm like, Pfft. What? And then throw her hair back and then come over here to this side and then she'd start dancing over here. And I looked, Sean Fox was with me. And I looked at Sean and I was like, what's that girl doing up there? And he's like, that's just the hype person. That's just the hype person. And then I started looking 
I was like, that ain't a girl, that's a guy. And long, long hair and, and just up there just dancing. And I was like, man, I, I would love to have that job, but I can't dance like that. I mean, he was just throwing down. I mean, breaking it. And, and he was just the hype guy. I was like, you know, that must be really nice. You can't play an instrument. You can't sing. You can't. You just get up there and dance. Trying to get everybody else worked up. Get everybody else excited. And I thought about how sometimes that's how it is in church, isn't it? We just kind of try to hype things up like somehow God needs a cheering section. You even hear people start praying sometimes, and it's like the louder we pray, the more God is likely to show up. You know, instead of just being like, God, we just, and this sincere, it's like, oh, Jesus! You know, and it's just loud, and it's like, well, the louder I pray, the more he's going to come, and the more he's going to, man, God doesn't need a hype, man. He needs people who will be faithful to his purposes. That's what God needs, is somebody that'll, that'll say, you know what, even the days I don't feel it, I'm going to get up and live for God. I'm going to get up and do, do what God's called me to do. And I believe and we'll settle our heart on his purposes and begin to do the things and commit our lives and say, I'm going to do what I was created to do. God can begin to use us in awesome and incredible ways. I would say this, look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, here's the thing. If Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? I mean, there's never been a time when Jesus had to look at somebody and go, man, I've got no clue what to do here. So you tell me. No, he's saying, where, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? Verse 6 says this. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I believe that this next thing that we need to do is we need to realize that our purpose in life, what we are called to do, is found in someone else's need. Our purpose is found in someone else's need. I mean, here comes Philip. He's walking along. Here comes all these people, and Jesus says, Philip, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? You know, Jesus already knew the need before it got there. And I think that's probably, as I was praying through this this week, I really believe that there are people in here who need to know this. Jesus knew the need before you had it. He's not looking around going, how are we going to take care of Joe or Bill or Bob? If I called your name, it was not intentionally. I do not know Joe, Bill, or Bob. There might be a Joe. But, and a Bob. All right, anyway. But he already knew the need. He already knew what was coming down the line. He already knew, and he had already made provision. He wasn't asking the question so he could try to figure it out. He was asking the question to see how they would respond. And my question is this to us today. Do we realize that our purpose is found in the needs of other people? Do we realize that we will never discover why we exist on this earth until we quit looking to ourselves and we begin to look to the needs of others? Because we find our purpose when we find the needs of other people. Listen, I hear all the time people, like you got, they got all these, and I'm not against these, we'll probably do these sometime. But you know, you have all of these um, gifts inventory tests that you can take, like for spiritual gifts. And, and I, I mean, I think they're great, and I'm not saying that. But, but we take these tests to find out what we're good at, or what, what God's called us to do. Or um, we take, uh, or, or, or people will say this, what are you passionate about? Whatever you're passionate about, that's what God made you to do. But I've been passionate about some things that just weren't good. I don't know about you, but there's been some things in my life I was real passionate about them, but I don't think it was of God. 
I mean, I lived a lot of years doing things that I was really excited about. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't God. And when I look at this, I realize, man, God, if we're going to find our purpose in life, it's going to be when we look to the needs of other people. Not just what we're passionate about. I hear it all the time. There's a need that needs to be done and, and for the body of Christ. Or there's a need that needs to be taken care of in the community. And it comes up before somebody. And what do they say? I just don't think I'm called. I'm, that's not my calling. I'm not gifted to do that. I'm not, that's not my gift. And my thing is this. Do you think Jesus was really passionate? Do you really think he felt called? Do you think he was really excited, I guess would be the best word, about going to the cross? In fact, we know that he wasn't. We know he knew that's what he had to do, but we know that he was not exactly fired up about going to the cross. In Luke chapter 22, he was sweating drops of blood because he was so anxious about going to the cross. And he even prayed, God, if, it's your, if, if this is your will, I'll do it, but if there's another way, let's figure that out right now. Because I don't want to do this. And yet he did it anyway. Why did he do it? Because he was thinking, I can't wait to get up on that cross. No, he did it because he was passionate about people. If, if, if people are important to God, shouldn't they be important to us? If God was all about meeting our needs and, and bringing us to a place where we could be in fellowship with him, meeting our needs in the sense of bridging the gap between us and him through the cross, then shouldn't we get to a place where our lives are about meeting the needs of other people? I believe this with all my heart. When we'll begin to look to the needs of other people, we'll begin to find our purpose. When we'll begin to look at a need that needs to be fulfilled, we will find what we were created for. Man, listen, I did youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for five years. I was some kind of cruel joke that God played on me. I don't know. Five years. And all five years, I knew I was not a youth pastor. Somebody come up, and I tried to convince people of this. They come up, man, you're, you do a great job as our youth pastor. I'm, like, I'm not a youth pastor. But you're a youth pastor. I'm not a youth pastor. I mean, I, I did things that I, I didn't want to do. I remember we took a trip to Atlanta one time, and one boy got mad at another boy. So when the other boy was out of the room, this one kid peed on the other kid's pillow. I almost killed him. As a youth, you have to do crazy stuff, man. We, we, I was teaching one time, and this kid was sitting over here, and he had his hand up like this. I was like, what's he doing? And I'm up there teaching, so I kind of move over so I can see. He was like, had his finger, like two knuckles up in his nose. And I'm up there trying to, and then it was like slow motion. I was like, no! <laughs> I'm up here trying to teach the Word of God. And he's sticking his finger in his nose and then in his mouth. I'm like, kid. And this guy was in the seventh grade. It was crazy. Another time I'm up there teaching and this one kid decides he wants to lay down. So he gets up and starts moving chairs and he picks up and he sets three chairs in a row. And then he just proceeds to stretch out and lay on it. I've been working all week to teach these kids something. And he lays down on these chairs. I thought that ain't, that will never happen again. <laughs> After it was over, I went up there. He's still laying down. He's kicked back. He's about half asleep. I said, you need to set up. He set up and looked at me. I said, let me tell you something. If you ever do that again, I will kill you. <laughs> and I know who your daddy is, and he's smaller than I am, so you can tell him too. <laughs> and because it infuriated me. But I did that for five years. Five years. Was it because I felt called? No. If I could have done something else, I would have. I would have. 
But I knew that there was a need, that the doors that God kept open and the opportunity that was set in front of me, it was, that was where it was. That was what it was, the opportunity that was there before me. And so I step into it. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I knew I wasn't really called to be a youth pastor, but there was a need there. So we began to, I began to do it. And, you know, it began to reveal to me exactly what I was called to do. If I weren't willing, was not willing to do that, I never would have discovered what God had called me to do. And I believe that we'll find our specific purpose when we begin to do our general purpose of meeting the needs of other people. Come on, a lot of you guys um, went out with us on August 29th of this past year when we, we cut out the church service and we went out and we began to uh, just serve in the community. Some of you went out and you hauled trash from this lady's house and we hauled off like four dumpster loads of trash from this lady's yard. And I heard more people say that was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Some of you put roofs on houses. Some of you did all this. And I guarantee you, before that morning, if I had said, are you called to haul trash? You'd be like, no. Some of y'all would be like, I went to school for six, seven years, so I wouldn't have to haul trash. And you got a bachelor's degree. And you're like, I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't stay in school for seven years so I could go haul trash. But you came back and you were like, my gosh, I've never felt more fulfilled in my life. Why? You were meeting somebody's needs. Some of you were up there carrying shingles and putting, hitting your finger with a hammer and doing all, and it was one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done. Why? You were taking care of a need. And when we begin to meet somebody, that's when we will find our fulfillment. That's when we'll begin to discover our purpose in life. That's when we'll discover what we were created to do. I want to read verse 6 to you again. It says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I believe this also. I believe that we need to decide if the needs of people are obstacles or opportunities. Are they obstacles or are they opportunities? Because you know as well as I do that there are times when we see somebody with a need and we're like, I don't want to help. And it becomes an obstacle. It becomes a hindrance. We need to decide. I mean, Jesus presents Philip with this opportunity. But the only thing that Philip and then Andrew can do is really look at it as an obstacle. How are we going to do this? Come on. Come on, Jesus. How are we going to work this out? This isn't going to work. And it was an obstacle rather than an opportunity. So many times God's trying to place an opportunity in front of us. We see it as an obstacle, so we go the other way. And we're like, why ain't God moving in my life? Because every time he gives you an opportunity, you go the other direction. We need to be willing to look at these things and realize that so many times opportunities are clothed in what looks like an obstacle. When people are in front of us with needs, man, God, God, ask him, God, is this an opportunity for me to reveal you to somebody? Is this an opportunity for me to fulfill the purpose you've created me for? I went up to Anderson, South Carolina uh, several weeks ago, and it was when we had all that snow and ice, and, and that night I got to the hotel, and I was at a conference at a church up there, and, and I, I had my GPS, and I'd been up there one time before, so I went through my GPS, found the only Anderson address, popped it in. That was the only, I'd never put in another address other than the church address for Anderson, South Carolina. I popped it in. I'm like, it said eight miles. I said, that sounds about right. I get in my truck. I start driving. About 15, 20 minutes later, I'm in the middle of nowhere. It said, you have arrived at your destination. And I looked around, and there wasn't even a driveway. It was just woods. I wanted to just, I wanted, I'm just, I'll be honest, I wanted to tell that little British lady off. I was like, what have you done to me? What have you done to me? She dropped me off in the middle of nowhere. And so I just keep on driving and I put it back in. It takes me a whole nother way to get back to the hotel. 
And there, and there was these patches of ice. Most of the road was good, but you just come up on an area that was 50 yards long. It was just like it was three inches thick in ice. I came across three people that night that had run off in ditches. I'd prayed on the way up there. I said, I, it was just praying, and I was like, God, you know, I said, prayer Jabez thing. I was like, God, just spam my tear. Give us influence, Lord. Help us to see the needs of people and meet those needs. Help us, Lord, to, to just see needs. And I'm riding along, and I'm, I see this lady in the ditch, and I'm like, dang. Man. And so I stopped to help this one lady. And then another guy stops, and he's like, you need some help? And I'm like, I don't know if I can get her out of this ditch or not. And then I hear, I'm like, what is that? I look up and this other car comes and wham, slams into the back of the car next to me. I'm like, from here to the chairs from it. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Thought I was dead. And then this guy pulls up. He's a volunteer fireman. I'm like, you got this? He was like, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, I'm getting out of here for somehow I get roped into this thing. And so they get this lady out. I go a little bit further. There's another guy in the ditch. I, I pull over and, and I'm like, hey man, you need some help? He's like, no, my uncle and them's coming. I was like, well, if Uncle and them can handle it, I'm going to head on down the road. So I keep on going. I come to the third one. It's off in the ditch and almost down, going down into a creek. And, and, and I'm like, well, everybody's got this taken care of. I'm just going to kind of ease by. And all of a sudden, I hear this guy going, hey, man, hey, hey. And I see him waving his arms. And so I stop, and he comes running up to my window. And it was actually two African-American guys. They, they were over there. And, and the guy looks in my window, and he's like, hey, man, can you help me? I was like, I don't know if I can get you out, but I'll try. I said, I got a chain. I'll, I'll try to pull you out. He's like, yeah, man, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. God bless you, man. God bless you. And he turns and he starts running back to the truck, and I hear him say, hey, he's going to get us out. I love white people. <laughs> and, so, and so I go, and I hook the chain up, and, and I, I hook him up, and, and I pull him out, man, and he's just all, like, loving on me. He's all excited. He's like, why are you up here? He saw I was from Georgia, and I told him. And I was just like, man, I'm going to the church. I was like, I'm nowhere near it already. He's like, no, I don't even know how you got out here. I was like, I don't know either, but maybe God put me here. And it was an opportunity just to share with him. But what if I rolled down my window? He's like, hey, man, can you help me? I'm like, man, I'm a preacher. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm not called to pull somebody out of a ditch. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm sure uh, somebody who is called to be a puller outer of the ditcher will come behind me and they can get you out of the ditch. But listen, man, God puts opportunity, but do we see them as opportunities or do we see them as obstacles? What God, what's God putting before you? What's he putting in your heart that maybe it seems like an obstacle, but God's putting it there so you can discover your purpose. Listen to verse seven. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread. For each one to have a bite. Eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I believe that this is one of our problems, that we look at how little we have in our hands rather than what we are in the hands of God. We look at how little we have in our hands. We look at how small our gift is. We look at how insignificant we feel rather than looking at what am I in the hands of God. What can God do through my life? Now, listen, I dare say that there's not many of us that can make a huge difference in this world by ourselves. But what can God do when you place yourself in his hands? How can God impact people if you'll just give yourself to him? I mean, I, I remember, um, oh gosh, I forgot my illustration. I, oh gosh, yeah, this is it. I just remembered it. Um, that's why I have notes. I took guitar lessons one time, and I love music, but I'm horrible at it. 
And, and I had a guitar. I got this. I mean, it's a nice guitar. Back when I had a business, I had money. Um, I bought a nice guitar. And, and, I, and I, I wanted to learn how to play it so badly. And so I went to this guy who was one of the best guitar players in this area. And I was like, can you teach me how to play the guitar? And he was like, yeah, I can teach you how to play the guitar. I was like, okay, cool. Here, here's my guitar. And he's like, do this. And he kind of showed me one little thing. And then I was like, ping, you know, ping, ping. That's kind of how I played the guitar. And then he said, well, let me hold it. Let me show you this. And he takes it and he's like, brr, 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 all up and down on the guitar. And I'm like, whoa. And then he hands it back and he goes, now just try to do that. <laughs> so I try to do that. I was like, I can't do that. And so I take it and I'm like, ping, ping. And he'd be like, no, this way. And he'd go, like, brr, 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 brr. and then he'd hand it back. And I'd be like, ping. You know, it sounded horrible. And, and it was almost like it wasn't even the same guitar. I, I would sit there and I'd be playing it. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'd, I, and it'd be terrible. I'd hand it to him and it'd just be like this brilliant musical instrument. And I, I look at our lives that way. So many times our lives are nothing. Nothing. When we try to take care of it, we try to do it ourselves, but when we are willing to place that in God's hands, what can he do with that? Absolutely incredible. I have a confession to make to you this morning, and it's really hard for me to say this, um, but this week was really stressful. I had a rough week, and, and so I did something that I don't know if I should have done or not, and I always want to be open and honest and transparent with you guys, and so um, I want to confess this to you. But um, this week, I bought an iPhone. And, um, and I like it, man. It is awesome. I love it. It is awesome. I mean, I couldn't stand it. I waited. I did not get a Christmas present from my wife so I could just wait and buy an iPhone when Verizon got them. And so two months later, I'm like, yes, Santa Claus has come to town. And, and I got this iPhone. And it, every time I think I figured out all that it'll do, it does something different without me even asking it to. I'm like, whoa, how did it do that? I was riding down the road the other day listening to a podcast, and I'm, I'm listening to it, and, and it's on my phone now. I don't have to have another contraption to listen. And it was just sitting up on my dash, and, and all of a sudden the music fades out, and the phone starts ringing. And I was like, okay, I got a phone call. So I press um, talk, and through my speakers, I said hello, and through my truck speakers, I hear, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, whoa, that was like the voice of God for a second. It was all around me. And, and, I, and it's like, whoa, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, what's going on? And I realized they could hear me without me holding it up to my ears. So I set it down and I'm like, man, I am big time now. Look at this. My, and I'm just riding down the road. I can control the volume with my, with my radio. I'm like, this is so cool. And, and I didn't even know it would do it. And you know what I realized about this iPhone is somebody way smarter than me came up with this thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this thing can do stuff that I, I don't even know about. I mean, I'll never tap into the full potential of this iPhone. But you know what's awesome about God? Is that God created us. He knows us inside. He knows us outside. He knows what makes us tick. He knows how we're put together. He knows how we're wired. And when we come to him and say, God, I don't know, but I don't think I got a whole lot here. God goes, watch this. I mean, if we can do that with an iPhone, certainly God can do that with our lives, right? Certainly God can use us in ways that we didn't think was possible. I mean, seriously, when y'all were riding around with a bag phone in your car, <laughs> did you really think we would have what we have today? I mean, we thought we were bad because we had a bag phone with 30 minutes on it. And you're like, well, I go over 30 minutes, it's going to cost me $500. I can't talk long. 
And now God, I mean, we got these awesome things, and I just so believe that in the hands of God, we can be that way, that we can tap into our full potential. Listen to this. In, in verses 8 through 11, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus uses the most obscure and the most insignificant to reach the multitudes. I believe that with all my heart. You know, Jesus, he never went into a synagogue to find somebody. You know what I'm saying? He, the people he used the most, he got from tax collectors' booths. He got out of fishing boats. He got out of these, the most obscure places. I mean, if you were going and you were getting ready to establish the kingdom of God on earth, would you really go to get somebody out of a fish? I mean, come on. That'd be like us going and, and you know, the show on TV where they, they catch the Alaskan crabs? If you were going to establish the kingdom of God, is that where you'd go to find the people you were going to do it through? No. And yet Jesus picked the most obscure, the most insignificant. Here's this little boy. All he's got is five loaves of bread and two fish, two small fish. And Andrew didn't bring this little boy up because he thought this is a good idea. He brought it up to say, Jesus, this is ludicrous. You really think we've got five loaves and two fish in this whole camp and you really think we're going to feed all these people. But I believe that Jesus cheers for the underdog. I truly do. I believe he cheers for the under. I believe that he wants to take those things that are not and create them and recreate them to be something. I believe, I know it's true because the Bible says this. The Bible says that God uses the dumb things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the dumb things of the world. So every time you say, Brandon, that was a great message, you know what you're telling me? You're saying you're really dumb. Right? If you're ever used of God, the one thing you can do is pat yourself on the back and go, I'm a moron. God use me. But seriously, he uses the dumb things of the world to confound the wise. He uses a little boy to feed 20,000 people or something like that. I mean, come on. That's absolutely incredible that God would use the insignificant things to make such a huge difference. I believe that's one reason that God has done what he's done through this church and, and using people to, and, and, and using it to reach people's lives is because when we started out, man, we were meeting in a pond house on Monday nights at 630. Out in the middle of nowhere. Our worship music came off of a Mac computer. And I think God looked down and he said, if they're really foolish enough to do this, if they're really dumb enough that they would come together on a Monday night and they'd worship off of a Mac computer and they'll lift their hands to some music that's playing off of a playlist, then I might as well show up. I might as well do something. You know, some of the most powerful worship we've had in this church happened on Monday night with a Mac computer. Because God uses the dumb things. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Listen, if you think you're insignificant, if you think you don't matter, then, then you're prime to be used by God. If you think I don't have anything to offer, then you're the one that God can show up in. It's just, will we yield that to him? Will we let him have it so that he can do something incredible, something awesome? Listen, I want to read to you real quick Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we don't need to hear the excuse of, of I can't do it. 
I, I don't think I'm, I'm capable. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm worthy. Because it says in here that you're God's workmanship. Are you really going to tell God he didn't know what he was doing when he made you? Are you really going to tell God that he didn't do it well enough? Are we really going to look the creator of the universe in the eyes and say, you don't know what you're doing? Because if we think that we're not able, we think that we're not worthy, we, we think we can't lead a small group, we think we can't pray with somebody at work, we think we can't read a devotion with our kids, we think we can't pray with our children, we can't pray with our wives, we can't do this, we can't do that, then you're looking at the creator of the universe, the one who made you in the eyes and saying, God, you didn't do it good enough. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. Listen, God has made you. He shaped you. He formed you. He knows what you're capable of, and he put everything in you, and he wants to invade your life with the power of his spirit so that he can do incredible things through you. That's what God desires to do. Listen to this, verses 11 through 13. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Listen to this, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Listen, God desires that not one ounce of your life would be wasted. He took those, those, those pieces that were left over. And listen, when God begins to, 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 to give, man, God's, God doesn't run out, right? They had 12 baskets left over. He has got plenty, plenty to give out to this world, to those who are in need, to those who are hungering for him. He's got plenty. The question is, will we give it to him so he can multiply it? Will we let him have it? And listen, he, he begins to, to give it to him, and he says, don't let any of it be wasted. What this little boy's given to me, I don't want one piece of it to be wasted. And when we come to God and we offer him our lives and we offer him what we have, then we come to a place where he's going to use every ounce of it. In fact, you'll never reach, I'll never reach my full potential apart from Christ. We can't. How can the creation do what it was created to do apart from the creator? doesn't even know why it exists. But when we come to God and we come to Him and offer Him what we have, that He can do incredible things. Listen, I, I believe there's two things we got to do. One, we got to offer Him our best. We got to offer Him our best. We got to offer Him our best. I remember the, the other night, man, we were eating dinner and, uh, and Dake and Jackson, they, I don't know, man, I'm praying for them because I, I, at this rate, I don't know how we're going to make it, and I don't know if they're going to like each other when they grow up because they're just fighting. One's four, one's eight, and it's like rah, all the time. In fact, I think Jackson lays in bed in the morning, and the only reason that he gets up is so he can aggravate Dake. I think if Dake weren't there, he'd just be like, oh, well, I'm not even getting up today. Because I think he really just gets up to aggravate him. And we were eating dinner the other night, and Dake had eaten his food, and, and man, Dake eats like a horse. And he just ate all his food, and he's like, I'm, I'm still hungry, I'm still hungry. And so he looks over at Jackson's food, and he's like, let me have some, Jackson. Jackson's like, no. I'm like, Jackson, you're not going to eat all that. And he's like, yeah, I am. I was like, no, you're not. And he ate all, he, he ate, and you could tell. He's like. <laughs> he like had grits. He had some grits and eggs and stuff, and he's eating, and he like had it all running down. He's like, he couldn't eat anymore. I mean, but he was trying to stuff it in. Why was he trying to? Because he didn't want Dake to have it. And he was like just stuffing it in, just eating all that he could eat, as much as he could possibly eat. And Dake's over there looking like a ravenous wolf. He's like. 
you know, just waiting. And then finally Jackson was just about to bust, and so he walks away from the table, and Date gets it and starts eating it. But what did Date get? Date got his leftovers. That's all he got. I wouldn't have even eaten it because Jackson was shoveling it in, so it's like, oh, my God. And Date ate it. And so many times in life, we, we come to God, and we just give him what's left over. We give him what's left over of our time, right? I mean, we come to church if it's convenient. If it works out, man, if I, don't, if I can't go to the lake, if, if, if they don't have a recital, if they don't have a ball game, if, you know, because I forget, bid that God gets in the way of rec sports. I mean, seriously. And, and so we just kind of give him whatever's there, and we wonder why our life doesn't make sense, why we're not fulfilling our purpose, why we don't have any fulf- kind of fulfillment in our life. And I believe it's because most of the time we give God just what's left over. Rather than giving him our best, the other thing that I see in the scripture that this little boy did is he gave him all of it. He gave him every bit of it. My kids have absolutely no problem. Sometimes we'll be sitting there and, and, and they'll go, Daddy, do you want this? I'm like, son, that is so nice of you to share your candy with me. He's like, well, I don't want it anyway. <laughs> they got no problem giving me what they don't want. Right? They got no problem giving away what, what doesn't matter to them. But God calls us to give him everything. He calls us to yield it all to him, not just our material things, but, but our lives, our hands, our feet, our, our hearts. If we can give him our heart, then he'll begin to transform everything else and begin to use us to transform other people. And that's how it works. When he's got control, when he's the one that's using the tool, when he's the one playing the guitar, it can make sounds, it can do things that it never thought it could possibly do. We've got to yield ourselves to him. We've got to give ourselves to him. We've got to give him our best, and we've got to give him all of it. Verse 14 says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. When you began to yield yourself to Jesus, when, when this little boy gave his, his lunch to Jesus, probably close to 20,000 people realized who Jesus was, and they had a revelation that this has got to be the prophet. When we begin to yield ourselves to him, we begin to give ourselves to him, then he begins to be revealed to those around us. If we'll allow him to use us, if we'll look to the needs of other people, then God can begin to be glorified through our seemingly insignificant offering. Last thing, Jesus knowing, this is verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and take him by, make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I want to leave with this, this one question, with this one thought. These people, they were coming, and, and they wanted Jesus to be a king so that he could deliver them from the oppression they were feeling from the Romans. And, and they wanted to set him up as king and have this military moment and, and, and this military revolution. And, and think about this. It was a perfect time to do it. He had 5,000 men. And yet Jesus withdrew. And my question that that I want us to leave on today is, is, am I looking to serve the purposes of God? Am I looking to serve the purposes of Jesus? Or am I still trying to get Jesus to serve my own purposes? Am I I existing on this planet so so that I can serve him? Or am I still trying to get him to serve me? Listen, he's already served you in the greatest possible way he ever could. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood on a cross. He took on all of our imperfections so that we could become perfect. What else do we need? He's given us the greatest gift we could ever possibly have. And now the question is, in view of his mercy, 
in view of his grace in our lives, are we willing to offer them to him as a living sacrifice that he can use? Because think of the power that God would have. Think of the lives that would be transformed if we yielded ourselves to him and allowed him to use us however he saw fit. Think about that. Just with the people in this room right now, in the hands of God Almighty, people yielded to him, willing to do whatever he asked us to do, willing to trust him with all that we have. Think about that. How awesome would that be to see what God could do through people who are yielded to his purposes. Absolutely incredible. Let's pray.